Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. We've got Dr. H with us today. Dr. H.H. Dr. Heather Holloman is an associate teaching prof at Penn State, and she's a speaker, and she's an author, and today she's joining us to talk about how to connect with others in a meaningful way through conversation. Her new book is called The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. And Heather, your book is just full of resources to help us to be better at conversations. I mean... The book includes the four mindsets of a loving conversation, the three fresh goals for a conversation, and the six conversations. Can you give us an example of how to use these techniques? I mean, maybe just tell us a story of a time when you use them in your own everyday life. You recently used these with an Uber driver. Is that right? I get into the Uber and I'm already thinking, okay, I want to be curious about him. I want to believe the best about his life. I'm going to express concern for him and maybe I'll get to share my life. And again, I'm already anxious because I don't like to travel. I feel lonely. Like I'm not feeling good getting into this Uber, but I've got my four mindsets and I ask the first question. I just say, how is it being an Uber driver? Is this your primary job? And the Uber driver says to me, No, I actually, this is my nighttime job. In the daytime, I'm an excavator. So I have six options at this point based on (laughs) the six dimensions of what it means to be human. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I can ask a social question, meaning, do you enjoy your coworkers? I could ask about an emotional question. Do you like the work? Do you enjoy the work? Does it make you happy to be an excavator? I could ask a physical question. Is it hard on your body? What's it like at the excavation site? A cognitive question. You know, what do you think about when you're out there in the earth all day long, you know, moving these these big piles of earth? I could ask a volitional question, which is our decision making. I could have said, hey, how did you decide to be an excavator? Or the spiritual category. I could have said, you know, when you're out there, excavating land? Do you ever feel like spiritual thoughts when you're out there? You know, I could have done anything. What I decided to do as I prayed, I was like, you know what? This is what I really want to know. I asked him, what is the coolest thing you've ever uncovered in the earth? Which (laughs) is a dangerous question. I didn't know what he was going to say. And he turns around and he says, I love that question. He said, that is such a good question. So already I'm feeling joyful. I'm feeling less alone. I'm not feeling my travel anxiety. And he says, let me tell you what I just found. He said, I found a very, very old horseshoe and I cleaned it and everyone wanted it because it was a symbol of good luck. And he goes on and on about finding this ancient horseshoe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then I thought, okay, well, I love this story. What if I shared my life with him? So I said, you know, when I was a little girl, I remember finding a horseshoe and people thought I was so lucky. And it opened up this huge conversation about horseshoes and about why we think they're symbols of luck. Shauna and Perry, I felt so happy. And Mm -hmm. I remembered his name and I thought, okay, I'm going to request you next time because he's an Uber driver in our community. And by the end, he was telling me about his marriage and how he's a newlywed. And since I'm older, you know, we were, I was sharing marriage advice. (laughs) So that's just an example. I'm, remember, you've got these mindsets, the four mindsets to connect. You have the six pathways, but you also have the three fresh goals. You know, by the end, 
we're marveling, we're encouraging. I'm helping him think about whatever he's doing as an Uber driver. It was so delightful. And what I love about this book is just how practical it is. And it's Mm going to sort of change your life immediately as you enter into conversation with people. So what I hear you saying is that the, the four mindsets, the three fresh goals... The six conversations are just ways for us to be lovingly curious and to connect with people. Yeah. Yes. And it's a skill we've lost. And, you know, my husband's an introvert. He's very shy. And he was the one who said to me one morning, you know, we really have to help people. This is hard and we're suffering. Our health is suffering. The health problems associated with chronic loneliness it's breaking down your body. Mm -hmm. This isn't just something, you know, oh, you can do this if you want to. It's sort of become a, you know, not only a spiritual crisis, but a health crisis. So my husband said, we have to make this easy for people. What if we just think of six categories of ways you could be curious? Exactly what you're saying, Perry. The whole book is really about curiosity. Hey, you mentioned that the Bible has something to say about us having good conversations. What does the Bible teach us about that? And talk a little bit too about the importance, like why a good conversation is necessary. Well, I'll start with your second question first. Sure. What what I've learned about conversations is they're they're really good for your mental health. Having a warm connection with someone, it not only helps loneliness and feelings of depression. The research shows that after you have a great conversation, you feel less alone, Mm. you're happier. And I thought this is such a gift to give people great skills and how to have how to have a wonderful conversation. The first thing you were asking about Mm. what the Bible says, I mean, I was someone who as a little girl was just chronically lonely. I was an incessant talker. I did not know how to connect with people. And Shauna, I was terrible. I was a complainer, a gossiper. I used foul language. And then when I was a young adult, I read Philippians 2, and it changed my life forever. The Mm -hmm. idea that Paul instructs us how to interact with people. He says, you should value other people above yourselves. I was not doing that. Mm -hmm. He also says to take on the interests of other people. And in Galatians, he says to carry one another's burdens. I was not doing that, Shauna. I was completely self-involved. I didn't know how to ask people questions about their lives to take on their interests. I didn't value other people above myself. And Mm -hmm. so now when I see someone, even whether it's a child or a grandmother or a colleague or a complete stranger, like my Uber driver two nights ago, <laughs> I think to myself, this person is an infinite gift. This person is so marvelous because they have a one-of-a-kind viewpoint on the universe. They're made in the image of God. This person's going to teach me something. And I just get filled with love and admiration for the person I'm talking to, whether or not it's, you know, a stranger or a child or whoever. You're a teacher at Penn State, and so you get to mix it up with college students. What are you getting from college students at Penn State? What are you noticing about just the climate in our culture right now? Well, I'm noticing that never before in 25 years of teaching have I seen the mental health issues of college students, Mm -hmm. the depression, the anxiety. So a lot of the research that I examined in the social science world were people trying to ask the question, you know, how do we improve this? What can we do? What are interventions? And I showed my students the Harvard Grant study, which is the longest research study ever. It's still going on. And it's trying to answer the question, what is the single most determining factor of a happy life? And after 85 years of data, 
the researchers conclude that warm relationships, so being warmly connected to someone, is the most important prologue to a happy life. And I share this with my students and they'll often say to me, well, how do we get those? Like, how do we get those warm relationships? It wasn't just the isolation of COVID. Even before that, you know, with social media, with the predominantly texting and sharing, you know, TikToks or sharing funny things on social media, memes and such, people have really lost the art of connecting deeply over things Mm -hmm. that really matter. So what is one way we can meaningfully connect in conversation? How do we bridge that gap that we're experiencing? Well, what I teach my students and other people as I do workshops on the six conversations is just to launch into a question in any one of the categories of what it means to be human. But the important thing is, if you don't have the biblical mindsets of curiosity, believing the best, willingness to express concern about people, and being vulnerable to share your own life, your own life, you won't have that warm connection. So to really grow in the art of curiosity, in the in the joy of what it means to really look at someone and believe the best about them, those are the two areas that people are most efficient. So then, when you're primed with those, you're really going to launch out into your day and ask any first question. And it could be very basic. For example, Penn State, we're a huge sports campus. Everyone likes to talk about the game. So if I say to a neighbor, did you go to the game on Saturday? And he says, yes, I did. I have six pathways now where I can ask any questions like, who did you go with? You know, what was it like sitting on the bleachers? How did you decide to get season tickets? And then as I talk about when he talks or whoever your conversation is, when they're talking, you're listening for core values so you can support them in whatever they're talking about, whatever they care about. And then it's your time to share your life where you could either talk about a commonality or something that they said that made you think of something. And by the end of that conversation, you're going to end up encouraging, helping them in what they value, how they're growing, or making some kind of comment that leads us to marveling. And after that, you're going to find you're warmly connected. People will want to spend time with you. You're going to see your mental health improve. And you're also going to find how easy it is to talk about Jesus, which is the passion of my heart. Dr. Heather Holloman, an English teacher at Penn State. And we're talking about her brand new book, The Six Conversations. I'm so encouraged that this book holds the tools that we need to be able to learn these skills. Because you think about, I mean, even pre-COVID, we're just in this digital age where we can connect with people via text. We make so many, uh, so fewer phone calls. We have fewer conversations because we can text people or we can email someone or we can, we can communicate in ways that are not um, verbal or oral, I guess, audible, you know, Mm -hmm. we can just write it down and communicate quickly in that way. And so we're losing the art of being able to be inquisitive with one another. Even things like you're standing in line at the grocery store and I'll tell you what, I'm inclined if I have to wait and I'm around people to pull out my phone. Yeah. Instead of engaging the people in front of me and behind me that I don't know in a conversation. As Ben looks at his phone right now. (laughs) (laughs) Caught you, Ben. Yes, you did. (laughs) But you know what I mean? This is real. This is the world that we live in. It makes sense with you know, some of the beautiful digital advances that we've made Mm -hmm. that we're losing something really, really beautiful when it comes to being able to have real conversations with people. Yeah. And we really long for these warm connections. We do. And your phone, you know, email is cold. 
And there's a place for phone texting. There's a place for email, but it's not a way to build a deep relationship. Right. Heather, can you tell us what this has looked like for you in your circle of influence? You're at Penn State. So how have you used these tools on campus with faculty and with students? Yes. So with faculty members, I love just being, you know, everyone knows I'm a Christian. I don't have a problem identifying as a Christian. But when I was connecting with a colleague who does give permission to share this story, I wanted to have a warm connection with her. So I walk into the office. I am using the four mindsets. I'm wanting to know about her. So I decided to ask about her work life. And my favorite part of my research in the book was what I learned about listening and how you're listening for core values. So I was with this professor and she was talking about how she felt so badly because she had to turn in a project and she didn't think it was her best work. And then she made another statement about something she did and she was regretting that, again, it wasn't her best work. So I said to this professor, it really sounds like you value excellence. And she said, I do. I really do. And she knew that I was listening to her, that I understood her. And I was able to easily transition to a question like, well, when you don't do your best, how do you get over that feeling of failure? And then I could easily say, you know, as a Christian, I just get to experience God's love and acceptance over me, even when I'm not perfect. That's what's, you know, the Bible calls the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And what's so great about this colleague is she, you all talk about Jesus and she'll say, this was the best conversation of my week. Will you please come back next week? And so with people like that, it's very easy to just open up your life, talk about, you know, the Lord and even as an atheist, she loves joining with my faculty prayer group at times. And it's really easy to just bring people into the Christian life as you open up and have these wonderful conversations. With students, it's often in office hours. They'll come to the office and they'll say, can you tell me why you chose Christianity as opposed to another religion? But guess what? The reason why they're in my office asking that question is they know I believe the best about them. They know I've been curious about their life. I'm invested. I've expressed concern and I'm willing to share my life. Can you share one of those stories? Yeah, that, that student came and I was able to share about why I chose Jesus as the one true God, why I believe the evidence for the resurrection. I walked through what it means to ask Jesus for forgiveness to come into your life and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this student was like, well, where do I start reading in the Bible? You know, what's next? You know, but over the years, I've had students say, I want to know the purpose of my life. How did you find out the purpose of your life? And in that case, sometimes I'll say, I really think you want the answer. And I'll give a student a book. I love Tim Keller's The Reason for God. You know, because often as a faculty member, you can't just talk about Jesus all day long. I'm paid to teach advanced writing. So in that case, I gave a book to a student and was able to connect her to campus ministries. And what was great is the student I gave that book to, she said, you know, I really can't deny that Jesus is the one true God. I want to become a Christian now. What do I do? And as a faculty member, I can easily connect them to churches or campus ministry groups. So I have so many stories like that. I don't even know which one to tell because it happens a lot. Students are very spiritually hungry. Faculty are spiritually hungry. Neighbors are spiritually hungry. And my neighbor who was a Hindu who came to faith, it was because I asked her the question, what does your tradition say about Jesus? But guess what? We had spent months 
connecting Mm. over our lives. And I even would say to her, in all these conversations, does it bother you how much I talk about Jesus? And this woman said, no, I would like to hear everything you have to Mm. say about him. So she not only prayed to receive Christ, she led her two children to the Lord. And she's Mm. a faculty member in the sociology department at Penn State. Something that Heather just said, she's an English prof at Penn State University. She said, people are hungry, Mm -hmm. are spiritually hungry. And I think that we assume people aren't spiritually hungry Mm -hmm. right now. But I think what's missing is this, hey, I'm really interested in you. And I believe the best in you. And I'm for you. And it's, I don't want to debate. I want to share with you the love of Christ attitude. You know, you're not coming right out and, and saying to a, to a person who's not a believer, I want to share the love of Christ with you. But that's the vibe that needs to come through. And that's what connects with the spiritual hunger. I think there's just so much debate. You know, there's so much debate, so much back and forth today. We just assume that's, that's what people are thinking. But below that, there's this spiritual hunger. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me more about the believing the best part? You've mentioned that several times yes. in the interview, believing the best. And how does that contribute to meaningful connection? Well, what I learned in the culture is most people, when they approach someone, so say, Shauna, you're in the grocery store, you see someone, maybe a neighbor. What's happened in the culture now, instead of believing the best and being really excited to connect with someone, what's happening is we're thinking in our mind, who did they vote for? What did they believe about vaccines? What is their stance on Roe v. Wade? We're essentially approaching people with an attitude of suspicion and mm-hmm. mistrust. And we're approaching people as if we need to win a political argument. So believing the best means you show in the in the therapeutic world, it's called unconditional positive regard. Meaning you say you you approach someone and you say, I really like being with you and I get really excited when I'm gonna talk to you because I always learn something new. It's always great to connect with you. You position yourself exactly what Paul says in not only Philippians 2, but Romans 12. It's a way of honoring someone. Can you imagine someone looking at you with the focus, you know, looking right in your eyes? You know that they believe the best about you. They Mm -hmm. admire you. They want to learn from you. And so really, that's a disposition of your heart that for me, the Holy Spirit really needed to build that in me. And as I teach students and, and do workshops, I tell people, you know, part of it is, if you need to, imagine that person as a child. Imagine what happened to them to make them believe what they believe and approach them with curiosity. If someone's talking to you and they believe something differently and they're very offensive to you for whatever reason, just say to them, you know, I can tell you really care about this issue. I would love to hear the story about when you first made a decision to believe this. Mm. You're going to have such a rich and connected conversation that by the end, they'll say, well, what about you? How did you come to believe what you believe? And suddenly, the person that you thought was your enemy, you're actually talking and having a productive conversation for social change. Mm. It's different It's different than how we're kind of arguing right now. Right. That's such a great idea when you get into perhaps a heated conversation with somebody and they state their opinion in a really strong way. You can say, I can see that you, yeah, I can see that you really believe in this strongly. How did you come to, you know, feel that strongly about it? Rather than try to make my case, ask them about why they feel so strongly. Right. And I like that statement that disengages the other person. You know, I can see that you really feel strongly about this and don't say it in a derogatory way, mm-hmm. you know. 
Right. And I love what Heather said here about entering the conversation. Are you entering conversations with suspicion and distrust or with excitement and curiosity, you know, believing the best about others? We can, I think, foundationally, too, if we can realize it's not about us. So if they're passionate and they're a little bit disgruntled about something to say, this is not about me. This is about a passion they have. We can be curious about it without being defensive. It's a great way to enter the conversation. Yeah, that's it. Question for you on conversations. This has just come to mind. My daughter lives in the Czech Republic and we got to visit her a couple of months ago. And it was very interesting to me. We got to meet some of her Czech friends and I saw her as we were curious and asking questions about their lives. I saw her diverting the conversation back to us. And afterwards I was like, what was going on there, kid? And she said the Czech people are very, very, very private. And so they don't like to talk about themselves. If you find yourself in a situation like that, where you're maybe you've got a default way of going into conversation, it's not working. What would you recommend as far as connecting with people in conversation? Well, Shauna, this is such a great point, because as I've spoken, for example, to New Englanders, they'll often say the same thing. Like we're more private. We don't like to share our lives. Or in the South, for example, I was just at a a workshop for six conversations and the women said, you know, in the South, we're taught never to ask a personal question. It's rude. Hmm. It's nosy. And, you know, they'll gossip about everyone. They'll get information from the neighbor about you, but they're never going to ask you a personal question. So Hmm. part of it is really changing the cultural mindset. So a lot of it is educating people. If they're in a culture where they're not told to share their lives, how biblical it is. Like Paul says, you know, we were delighted not only to share the gospel, but our lives as well. And to remind people, you know, you don't know what you're missing out on when you don't share your life. So in conversation, I often am subtly training people in the art of conversation. So for example, if someone's asking me a tons of, you know, a lot of questions, but they're not sharing their life, I might say, you know, I know this might be difficult for you because of your background or your culture, but I would love for you to share something about your life. And if they're hesitant, I'll say, as I've researched about conversations, I just know how great it is for mental health and how great it is for our spiritual lives when we share our lives with each other. So sort of coach people Mm -hmm. the same as if someone never asks you a question because we've all been out with a friend who never asks us one question about our lives. You know, we're doing all the talking. They won't ask us anything. I often say to people, I have loved talking to you. I can't wait for you to ask me a question. In fact, here's the question I'm secretly hoping you'll ask me. (laughs) So I'm training people how to... You know, and that's perfect for family members, you know, especially if you're reconnecting with people after a time of division. You know, a lot of people have unfriended or blocked people on Facebook and families and churches have been torn apart in the last few years. So there's a lot of repair that needs to be done in relationships. And so I'm excited about when you read the book, then you are equipped to help coach other people how to have warm and loving connections. Talking about two kinds of people there that we need to engage in conversations. The first being people who don't like to open up. Right. And we need to just say stuff like, I know this is really hard for you to, to open up about this, but I'd, I'm really curious to know. And and it's even, I've found, you know, just in reading stuff that it's even helpful to open up and share the things that, that you're interested in. It's, it's, it's good for you. That kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not only can we gain the tools that we need for conversation, but once we have the tools in a loving way, 
believing the best about the other person, you know, not in an in-your-face offensive kind of way, but in a loving, <laughs> genuinely, I can help you to get better at connecting with other people, not just me, you know, because I want to have a good conversation with you, but I also want you to walk away from here and for you to be able to have better conversations with other people. We can coach a little bit. Yeah. And then I love the other part where, you know, another person's just talk, 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 talking, and you can coach them to ask you questions. Instead of cutting them down for doing all the talking, mm-hmm. you can say, you know, I, I have loved listening to you talk. And talk and talk and talk. No, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> I have loved listening to you talk. And I've just been waiting to, you know, to have you ask me this question. There's this secret question I've just wanted you to ask me. And, you know, it's, it's a nice way of saying you talk way too much. And I'd like to say something. <laughs> I think it's brilliant that I'm secretly hoping that you'll ask me. Yeah. I, I'm definitely going to use that one. That one's going in my pocket. And what about God's questions for us? Oh, I love this. I love this because, you know, a lot of people are reading this book that aren't believers. And so I have to tell them, look, this book is really deeply informed by my love of Jesus and biblical theology. In fact, the last chapter is really a beautiful conversation that leads to the gospel that I was meditating on in the book of Genesis. So in the book of Genesis, we see God asking three really amazing questions. And the three questions God asks, if you remember in Genesis, is when he's looking for Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? Mm-hmm. Who told you you were naked and what have you done? Those three questions are really the most important questions in the culture right now for anyone to answer. Where are you? Where are you in relation to God? Are you hiding from him? Where are you? Mm-hmm. Who told you you were naked? To me is a question like, who told you about yourself? Who are you authorizing to give you information about who you are? Mm-hmm. And the third question what have you done? Everyone needs to figure out how they're going to make peace with a holy God. And it's really a look at the sin in our lives. And so I contrast that conversation with what we see with the woman at the well. There are so many similarities between Eve and the woman at the well that that chapter in that book is really about how Jesus then offers forgiveness. He gives a ministry to the woman at the well. You know, those questions now find all of the answers in the person of Jesus. So I love thinking about our conversations with God. The other part about that is I don't think a lot of people realize that they can actually have a warm and loving connection with God and have real conversations with Him. Through the Bible, the Holy Spirit's our source of wisdom, through prayer. The book really ends with what I think is the most important conversation, and that's our conversation with God. Those three questions that God asked Adam and Eve where are you? You know, and we can we can ask that with the people that we're connecting with to lead them to Jesus. Where are you in your relationship with mm-hmm. God? And then, you know, who told you you were naked? In other words, who told you that that's your identity? Mm-hmm. Who told you to identify in that way? You know, because you've given them authority to tell them that you're whatever. Yeah. Who are you letting speak into your life in such a a shaping way? Such a good question. Yeah. And then what have you done? Like, man, we're all fallen. We're all broken. We have sin. We have a poison in us. And to, to, to lead them to the gospel, because that's the only way we can really deal with that sin and that shame that's in us. So those three questions right after Adam and Eve fell are so relevant right now in this cultural moment in America. (laughs) 
you know, some people are just gifted. Come on. Like you got people right. who can, you know, they're just going to sell ice to an Eskimo, whatever. They just can talk to anybody anywhere. And it's just not a thing. But other people deal with real fear in entering into a conversation, especially with a stranger or even with people that they're close to. It's it's right. hard and they feel self-conscious. They're overwhelmed by thoughts about how they're going to be perceived in the conversation. So if you're one of these people who's just not good at it, what I'm hearing you say, Heather, is we can learn. Yes. And what you'll find most delightful about the book is the research about how people perceive you when you ask a curious question, even if it's an inappropriate question, your conversation partner will like you more. You're, you believe that you're self-conscious and awkward and everyone's judging you. The research shows that people love it. When you ask them a personal question, they'll want to talk to you. They will enjoy that question. The other thing is to get over the fear. I like to tell people that fear and excitement are really the same pathway in the brain. So try to reimagine that you're really not afraid. It's this Mm. excitement you're feeling that something great's about to happen. And then as a Christian, I do tell people I do this by faith. I get scared too. I have to interact with college students all day long. I interact with faculty members. I interact with strangers. I have a lot of people in my life. And so I too become nervous and self-conscious, but I know I can ask a question And because of the six conversational pathways, I have endless permutations of what to ask next, and I'm never going to get lost in a conversation again. That is so helpful. So here's the deal. God created you for meaningful connection. Let's, I mean, let's talk about it. The, the Trinity itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's community, it's connection, it's togetherness. And you're created for that type of meaningful connection, not just with God and with you know the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but with His people, with other people. How else are you going to tell people who Jesus is if you can't meaningfully connect with them? Thanks for listening to Barry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.